Would you turn with me please to 1 Peter? 1 Peter, the first chapter and the 18th verse, we began some weeks ago on a series we're calling Precious in His Sight. And if you haven't been with us, let me encourage you to go online and download the previous messages. Uh, if you're in the building, you can also get a, uh, a hard copy in the Word Supply. Aren't we blessed that we can sow these things to, to others and not have to charge for them? Amen. Well, it's only going to increase. In 1 Peter 1 and 18, he said, For as much as you know that you were not redeemed with corruptible things, uh, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers. But, in other words, but you were redeemed, are redeemed, with the precious blood of Christ. Somebody say precious. precious. Now, there's been a negative connotation attached to precious. And uh, it's because, we're going to see this later on, I believe, it's because the devil is a mocker. And he's actually envious of us. That's right. You ever heard anybody say, well, isn't that precious? That's devilish. That's a devilish tone. Because it's demeaning. It's belittling. When the scripture says precious blood of Christ, what does it mean? It means the value exceeds what you would think or imagine. How valuable is the precious blood of the Lamb? Precious blood of Christ. We're going to be talking about that later too. Anybody interested in that? How precious is that blood? Or in other words, to say it, how valuable, how costly, how valuable is that blood? Because that's what you and I are bought with. Silver and gold couldn't buy us. Well, paper currency, electronic, is supposed to be based on precious metals. Precious. Valuable. It used to be at one time, we put it like that. <laughs> but your value and my value exceeds what could be purchased with precious metals. It took something more precious than gold and silver and jewels to buy us. But we have been bought. We're bought with a price. We're bought, we're paid for. Somebody owns us. Hallelujah. And they paid a price for us, he paid a price for us that has never been equaled. Never been paid for anything before. But I, I want us to hear some other things here in this. In, in the New Century Version, verse 18 says, You know in the past you were living in a worthless way. If you read this in other translations, you'll see just what we've been talking about. He's talking about value. What's worth something, what's not worth anything. Precious is high value. Worthless is little or no value. In the past, you were living in a worthless way, a way passed down from the people who lived before you. You know, a lot of stuff people got from their forefathers that they're so proud of is actually worthless. Did I say it or did the verse say it? Did I lose somebody? <laughs> a way passed down from the people who lived before you. Just because it's been around a long time doesn't make it good or worth anything or right. You know, people get so proud and say, well, this has been in, in our family for 500 years. Well, first of all, to the Lord, 500 years yeah. is what? Yeah. Half a day ago. Yeah. It's, a, it's a new thing. Right. <laughs> Something that's 3,000 years old to the Lord's just one of the brand new things just started three days ago. Yeah. <laughs> Not as old as people think it is. And he said, you were saved 
from that useless life, bought not with something that ruins like gold and silver, but praise God, you're bought with the precious blood of the Lamb. The we says, with the costly blood, highly honored. Go with me to the second chapter right here in 1 Peter. Verse 9. 1 Peter 2 and 9. We've been delivered from worthlessness. We've been delivered from uselessness. Both ourselves, our existence, our life. Are there a lot of people on the planet who are living a useless life? Maybe they don't think so, but it is. It is. And it goes by so quickly. How many would agree? We don't have a day to waste. Do we? He said, you are a chosen generation. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A peculiar people. Actually, this, uh, I think maybe a better translation would be purchased. Purchased people. That you should show forth the praises of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. All of these, these descriptor words here are telling us how valuable we are to him. Chosen, the Greek word means selected or favorite. One of Phyllis's words. <laughs> You are a favorite generation. You are chosen, selected. A royal priesthood, that means the king's priesthood. A holy nation has to do with race. We are a new race. A lot of different skin tones and complexions, but the same Recreated race. Oh, come on. Are you listening? In Christ, there's no male. There's no female. There's no black, white, red, yellow. There's a new creation in Christ Jesus. We're a new race. Woo. We are called a holy race. A holy nation. A peculiar people literally means God's purchased possession. And all of this has happened so that we should show forth the praises of him who's called us out of darkness into his marvelous or wonderful light. After this has happened to us, what's the function and purpose? So that everybody can see. How wonderful God is. What he has done for us. Hallelujah. And what it should inspire them to believe is he's done it for you too. If you'll receive it, you can be a part of this chosen group. A part of this rare, precious, purchased possession. Somebody say, I believe it. I believe it. Glory to God. The Weiss translation says, you're a race chosen out, king priests, a set-apart nation, people formed for God's own possession. Hallelujah. He said, at one time you were not a people, but now you're God's people. You were not subjects of mercy, but now you've become objects of mercy. Listen to what other translations say. The, The complete English says, once you were nobody. But now you are God's people. The message says from nothing to something. From rejected to accepted. Hallelujah. There's a big difference from what we used to be to what we are now. And that's the reason you were quickened on this because that's what the Holy Spirit's saying today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. There's a big difference from what you and I used to be. I mean, you might have been supposedly born to one of the best families in the country. You might have had this going for you, that going for you in the natural. But truth be told, 
you were nothing. Without him and apart from him, there's nobody that's anything that's worth anything. When you talk about past this life and into eternity, who's going to know? Who's going to care? But we were nobody. But now we're somebody because we're his. Being his matters. It matters in heaven, earth, and hell. It matters today and throughout eternity. Because of whose we are. Because of who wanted us. Who was willing to pay the price he paid for us. Is what gives us eternal value. And when we know that. It will stabilize our soul. And it will completely deliver us. From any crisis of identity. Who are you? What are you? What are you worth? We talked about that in the beginning of this series. I I went through a little bit of history of myself. Where I was born and how I grew up. What I did in school and then afterwards. And and what I did in the beginning of ministry. and, And what's my identity? Who am I? And people tend to identify with where they were born. What family they were born into. The region, the area. And then what you've done. Uh, Sometimes what's uh, happened in your life. And accomplishments. We talked about looks. We talked about possession. Who are you? But uh, if the looks change. I should say. When. (laughs) When the looks change. Have you figured out they're changing every day? Have you figured this out? Who are you when your looks change? Are you not the same person? Are you less valuable? What about possessions? If you didn't have that house, if you didn't have that job, if you weren't able to do that specific thing, who are you now? Do you go through an identity crisis? Are you not worth as much to your family or to society? If your identity and your worth is in anything you can lose... You're in danger. You're in jeopardy. There's only a matter of time until you're going to have a crisis of identity. And you're you're going to be susceptible to believe in lies from the enemy that you're not worth anything. You're no good to anybody. But we've been delivered from worthlessness. We've been redeemed from uselessness. Our value is not in how we look physically, which is temporary anyway. One of these days, soon, the Lord's going to fix this thing. This body, it's going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. This mortal is going to be made immortal. This corruptible is going to be made incorruptible. And so never again will we be subject to aging or deterioration of any kind. Past this life, you are going to look amazing. And a million years from now, you're still going to look amazing. I guess more so. The Bible said those that turn many to righteousness are going to shine like the stars. You talk about a star. You hadn't seen stars yet. Woo. Stars. Stars God has made. Our value is in what he has done. Not what we've done or can do. But when you get that, it stabilizes you. It anchors your soul. Because if you've got something, you knew who you were before you got it. You know who you are after it's gone. You know who you are when you look this way. You know who you are when you don't look that way. My identity, my value, my worth is not in anything I can lose. Can you say amen? Amen. New Living Translation says it like this. Once, verse 10, once you had no identity as a people. Now you are God's people. Who are you? 
Well, I'm so-and-so, son of so-and-so. Uh, I'm an athlete. I'm a financial guy. I'm a this, a, a model, or whatever. No, mm-mm, mm-mm. All that is shifting sand. It can be taken away from you. It will be taken away from you. Come on, are you listening? Who are you? I am a child of God. I'm his. He's my father. I'm his son. Jesus bought me and paid for me. And paid the highest price that's ever been paid for anything in the universe. This gives me eternal worth. As long as I hold on to him, I can never lose that. Generations will come and go. The heavens and this heavens and earth itself will pass away. And all the stuff that was down here that people had their identity in. But you'll still know who you are. And what your value is. And what your worth is. Glory to God. Hallelujah. Have Have you read in the book of Revelation? In fact, there's a, I didn't intend to do this, but there's a passage there that'll make you shout. I know you like to shout. Is that right? I know you like to say hallelujah. Glory to God. I know you like that. Is that right? Go to Revelation then. Revelation, the first chapter. And the fifth verse. It says, from Jesus Christ, who is the faithful witness, and the first begotten of the dead, and the prince of the kings of the earth, unto him that loved us. Now, what is love? I want to give you a word. I'm getting ahead of myself a little bit, but we need to hear it more than one time. Another word for love is value. Now, I know a lot of people don't like that. It doesn't sound romantic to them. (laughs) But I'm telling you, there's revelation here. Where your treasure is, that's where your heart will be. So you say, you love from the heart. You believe with the heart. To say God loves us, how is it not connected to say he values us? We are valuable to him. We're important to him. You're saying similar things. And uh, he loved us and washed us from our sins in his own blood. Oh, somebody say in his own blood. There was only one way to get us back. We had lost ourselves. Sold ourselves through disobedience and sin. Bowing our knee to the enemy. All of us have sinned and come short. There was only one way to get us back. The creator that made us. Had to buy us back. His own creation. And it was only one thing. Precious enough. To buy us. The very life of God. Which is in the blood. Only thing that was worth enough to buy us. And he gladly and willingly gave himself and shed his blood to buy us. That makes us somebody. That makes us something. In this universe. And throughout eternity. Oh, somebody say, I'm bought. I'm washed. I'm redeemed. By the blood of the Lamb. The The very next verse, verse 6 says, He's made us something. He's made us kings. Well, is a king worth anything? He's made us priests. Is a priest worth anything? Unto God and His Father, to Him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Skip down over to the seventh chapter. This is one of the parts I told you you'd shout about. You went ahead and shouted on chapter one, <laughs> which is good. <laughs> I mean, if you can't shout about the blood of the Lamb, Amen. 
your shouter's broke. (laughs) Needs to be fixed. Revelation 7, 9. John was taken by the Spirit of God and shown into the future. To the end of the age. And this is something he saw that is surely coming. He said, after this I beheld and lo a great multitude. Which no man could number. This is millions and millions. Of all nations. And kindreds. And people. And tongues. Every color. Every background. Every generation. Oh come on. And they stood before the throne. And before the Lamb. Clothed with white robes. Does anybody know how those robes got white? Does anybody anybody know? (laughs) And palms in their hands. Keep reading. And they cried with a loud voice. And they said salvation to our God. Which sits on the throne. And to the Lamb. How many know soon and very soon. You and I are going to be in the middle of this. And all the angels stood around the throne and, uh, and about the elders and the four beasts. And they fell on the throne on their faces and they worshiped God. Keep reading. They said blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be unto our God forever and ever. Amen. Is that going to be a time or is that going to be a time? <laughs> now listen. 13. One of the elders answered and said, what are these? We'd say, who are these that are arrayed in white robes? And where did they come from? (laughs) Somebody say, who are these? these? That group that no man could number. That group robed in the white robes. Proclaiming salvation to our God. Hallelujah. Who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Who are these? They wanted to know. The elders at the throne are saying. And I said to him, John said, "Uh, sir, you know. That's a good answer. (laughs) The Lord asks you a question and you don't know. That's a good response. Say, Lord, you know. He said to me, these are they which came out of great tribulation, and they have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. That's us. We're somebody at the throne. The angels and elders are going, who are these? Who are these? It's us. I said it's us. Therefore they are before the throne of God and they serve him day and night in his temple and he that sits on the throne dwells among them. We live with God. God lives with us. We live together. They'll hunger no more. Neither thirst anymore. Neither shall the sun light on them or any heat. Our climate control problems are over. <laughs> Never be too hot or too cold again. Wow. Well, how could you live with God and things not be right? <laughs> the environment he's experiencing is what we're experiencing. Because we're living with him. For the Lamb... Which is in the midst of the throne shall feed them and lead them to living fountains of waters. And God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. Hallelujah. There come a time the former things are not going to be remembered. We're going to be cleansed and set free from every tragedy, from every disappointment. Come on, are you listening? From everything we experience down here. Woo. Who are they? Who are those? We are the redeemed, the blood bought, the blood washed, those made 
kings and priests, sons of God. Hallelujah. Somebody say, thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Turn with me, please, to Luke chapter 5. Now, we've said that our identity should not be in our our family, our natural heritage, our looks, our athletic ability, our possessions, our accomplishments. Last time we talked about it, our identity shouldn't be in our deeds. Even if you set records <laughs> doing things in the earth in your generation, how many understand records are made to be broken? Is that right? So, I mean, maybe you were the best in your field, but there'll come a time when you're not, when somebody else exceeds your record. Well, who are you then? Who are you now? Are you less? Do you feel displaced? So we shouldn't let our identity just be in what we've done, our deeds, our accomplishments. But I want to talk to you today that our identity should not be in our failures, nor our mistakes either. This is an area you need revelation and you need to be liberated because definitely people have been marked and have been identified by others by the bad things they've done. Who is that? Well, that's that guy that did such and such. Who is that? Well, you know, she's so-and-so. She did this and she's had that happen. Associated with bad things. And people themselves, every one of us, need help from the Lord not to identify with the past. If we identify with the past then the past is directing our future. But it's possible to break free from the identity of who you were and what you did. Are you hearing some past tense here? I want to mention to you, as time will allow, two of what we'd call the greatest men of God in the New Testament who did just that. They had problems in their past. But by the grace of God, they overcame it. And didn't live in the past. And didn't let the past define them. Didn't let their mistakes define them. Well, I've been so such and such. And I've done so many. And I, you, you were. You did. It was. But it doesn't have to be. One of them, you'll recognize immediately, Peter. Brother Peter, in the beginning of his dealings with the Lord in Luke 5, Luke 5 and 6, when he borrowed Peter's boat, Jesus did, and then he told him to cast the net for a catch, and he did, and in verse 6, they enclosed a great multitude of fishes, and their net broke. And they beckoned their partners, and they came, and they filled up the ships. They began to sink. And verse 8, Luke 5, 8, when Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees and said, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished, and all that were with him at the draft or catch of fishes which they had taken. Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. But the very next phrase, Jesus said to Simon in verse 10, Fear not, from henceforth now on, you shall catch men. Peter said, I'm a sinner man. Jesus said, you're a fisher man. (laughs) It is so important that we say about ourselves what our Lord says about us. 
Because the enemy is continuously endeavoring to get you to say over yourself something that contradicts what the Lord has said to you. And churchdom, I mean, you could, you could pick one, uh, you know, probably 80-90% of the churches in the country and talk to them about this and they're going to tell you some version or form of I'm just an old sinner. Well, we're all just sinners. This is ingrained in modern religion. We are sinners. Well, everybody's a sinner. We've all sinned. Sin, duh. Sinned. Past tense. Does not make you a sinner. Present tense. People say, well, I'm no saint. And you've heard me say before, you're either a saint or you ain't. You're an ain't. Ain't saved. Have you read the scriptures? Who are the epistles to? To the saints that be at Rome. To the saints at Corinth. Well, I'm no saint. Is the Bible true or are you right? Are you born again? You're either washed or you're not. You're either forgiven or you're not. You're either clean or you're not. You're either righteous and holy or you're not. And see, people are talking about what they've done. They're identifying with their past, with their mistakes, with their, I've missed it in so many ways. I've come short. You and everybody else on the planet. Certainly you have. Certainly I have. But are you washed or not? Peter said, I'm a sinner. I'm a sinner. Go away from me. He felt unworthy. When he saw this miracle, he caught a glimpse of who they've been listening to. And the purity of the master. And the glory was manifested. And in that presence, he felt so unclean. And he's like, Lord, you need to get away. Not because he didn't want to be around him. He just thought, I'm not worthy. I'm not fit to be around you. But Jesus just looks at him when he tells him he's a sinner man and says, come on. You're my fisher man. What does that mean? Worthy. To walk with the master. Worthy to be in his company. Worthy to be in his service. Not that we accomplished it. He has made us worthy. Oh, hallelujah. And thank God he did. He was able to hear the words and overcome and, and travel with Jesus. And, and, and be in the meetings with him. And eat with him. And fellowship with him. And. And loved him so much that it came time and Jesus talking about leaving. And, and he said, uh, no way, no way, you, you can't leave me. Uh, no, uh-uh. Where you go, I'm going. If I have to die, I will not leave you. And the rest of them said the same thing. And Jesus said, uh, before the rooster crows, you will have denied me three times. And he said, no way, Lord. No way. I will die with you. And I believe he fully meant it. But he didn't realize how weak he was. And uh, scripture talks about that. The spirit is willing. But the flesh is weak. And you know the story that before. uh, By the next morning. He was out there cursing and swearing. I don't know him. I don't know who he is. And uh, at one point. I suppose Jesus was too far away. To hear him. But he turned around and looked at him when he said it the third time. And he was overwhelmed with grief. How do you think he felt? After talking like he had talked. How do you think he felt? There, there is no worse pain than that kind of failure. Is there? There's no worse hurt than to realize you have been a complete failure. 
in what you said you would do. And what you so adamantly said you believed in and loved. And he, the Bible said he went out and he wept, we might say profusely. He just cried his head off. And even after the master was risen from the dead, he didn't know what to say or how to act around him. And so Jesus calls him out personally and said, Peter, do you love me? (laughs) He said, yes, Lord. See, that's what he had said before, adamantly, how much he loved him. And and he'd never deny him and he'd die with him, but he didn't. And Jesus said, feed my lambs. Do you love me? Yes, Lord. Feed my sheep. Do you love me? Lord, you know. (laughs) Feed my sheep. He's asking him to do something for him, something that's precious and important to him. What does that mean? What's he telling him? You are still mine. You're important to me. I want you. I need you. Do this for me. Hallelujah. And Peter did not let his failures define him on the day of Pentecost. He stands up boldly. Hallelujah. And preaches the gospel. Hallelujah. With fire in his belly. And becomes a pillar in the church. And helped to lay the foundation for the New Testament church, the body of Christ. Did he let his past define him? Did he let his failures determine his worth and his value? No. Do you have to? Do I have to? Believe what the Lord tells you. Don't come telling him you're a sinner man. When he says you're a fisher man. Say what he says. Say what he says. Anybody remember Paul? Paul was not always Paul the Apostle. Saint of God. Who was he? He was Saul of Tarsus. Now Paul, you're going to enjoy meeting. Saul, you would not have liked at all. (laughs) Go to Acts 8, please. Acts 8, 1. I'm reading the Amplified. We need to remind ourselves of who Saul was. Acts 8, 1 amplified, Saul was not only consenting to Stephen's death, he was pleased and entirely approving. He held their clothes while they killed this saint of God. And he approved of it. This is who he was. And on that day there broke out a, a great severe persecution against the church. And uh, verse 3 Saul shamefully treated and laid waste the church continuously with cruelty and violence, entering house after house, dragging out men and women and committed them to prison. These are good brothers and sisters that are in their house, not bothering anybody. And they break, he breaks the door down, drags them out of their kitchen, and takes them to these terrible dungeons. And and believers were hurt, they were uh, destroyed, they were killed. And in 9-1, it says Saul was still drawing his breath hard from threatening and murderous desire against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and he got, you know, letters and permission so he could have a right to just go into town and just do whatever he wanted to do. Go to people's houses, kick down their doors, drag them and their kids out. Throw them in jail. Take their stuff. Murderous desire. Breathing out threatening. The Amplified shows these words to see what kind of person he was. What kind of state he was in. You would not have liked this man. This is a man who will kill you. And destroy you and your kids. And give you scriptures why it's okay to do it. In Galatians 1, 13, in the Amplified, he told them, he said, you heard of my earlier career and former manner of life in the Jewish religion, 
how I persecuted and abused the church of God furiously and extensively and with fanatical zeal did my best to make havoc of it and destroy it. He was on a mission to wipe this new Jesus thing off the face of the earth. He was a tool of the devil. And he hurt people. And killed people. And destroyed families. And homes. That's why you know when the Lord called Ananias. Not Ananias and Sapphira. The other Ananias. And told him to go lay hands on Saul. He said Lord. <laughs> I've heard of many about this guy. And what he's done. It took faith, didn't it? To go do this. Go to this guy and say, the Lord Jesus sent me to you. When that's what he's trying to wipe off the face of the earth. But he did. Oh, somebody say, thank you, Lord. In 1 Timothy 1, notice this. 1 Timothy 1, 12. He said, I thank Christ Jesus, our Lord, who has enabled me. For he counted me faithful, putting me into the ministry. Who was, somebody say was, was was before a blasphemer and a persecutor and injurious, but I obtained mercy. Oh, can somebody else say, I obtained mercy? He said, I did it ignorantly in unbelief. See, he thought he was doing God's work. And the grace of God was exceeding abundant with faith and love, which is in Christ Jesus. This is a faithful saying and worthy of all acceptation that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I'm chief. I'm chief of the sinners that he came to save. But he was. Don't forget was. How be it for this cause I obtain mercy that in me first Jesus Christ might show forth all longsuffering for a pattern to them which should hereafter believe on him to life everlasting. He said God did it on purpose. Why? If he'll save a rascal like me. If he can turn me a murderous religious zealot knows nothing about God hurting people into an apostle. To the Gentiles. (laughs) Then he can save you. And he can change you. Do you have to be identified with your past? Even if it was yesterday. It's still past. Is that right? Titus 3. Titus 3 and 3. Oh, you can warm up your shouter. You're going to need to use it again just in a minute. Titus 3 and 3. For we ourselves also were, 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 were sometimes foolish, disobedient, deceived, serving divers' lusts and pleasures, living in malice and envy, hateful, and hating one another. But after that, you were. But after that, the kindness and love of God our Savior toward man appeared. Not by works of righteousness which we've done, but according to his mercy. He saved us by the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost, which he shed on us abundantly through Jesus Christ our Savior, therefore being justified. Now another way to say justified is made righteous or made innocent. Being made innocent, made righteous by his grace, we should be made heirs according to the hope of eternal life. Hallelujah. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. Paul said this. 1 Corinthians 15, 9. I am the least of the apostles that am not meet or fit to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. You reckon the enemy ever brought the screams of those people he drug out of their house to him. 
and him standing by watching them bloody the head of this saint of God with these rocks until they killed him. And him standing there arrogantly going, this is the will of God. This is the work of God. And all the people he hurt and all the churches he hurt. You reckon any of that ever came back to him? You know, he's a human being. The enemy would try to bring it. But he said, you know, from the natural standpoint, I'm not fit to be called an apostle. I persecuted, I hurt, I destroyed the church of God. But. Oh, somebody say but. But. By the grace of God, I am what I am. Who are you? What are you? I am what I am, not by what I've done. But because of what he's done. By the grace of God, I am what I am. And he said, his grace that was bestowed on me was not in vain. Because I have labored more abundantly than they all. Yet not I, but the grace of God, which was with me. Go to 1 Corinthians 6. We got you warmed up now. 1 Corinthians 6. This is rich. I'm talking about his word. 1 Corinthians 6, 9, he says, know you not that the unrighteous shall not inherit the kingdom of God? Be not deceived, neither fornicators, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor effeminate, nor abusers of themselves with mankind, nor thieves, nor covetous, nor drunkards nor revilers, nor extortioners shall inherit the kingdom of God. And such were some of you. Were is the operative word here. If any man be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are passed away. Old things are passed away. Old things are passed away. Huh? Yeah, but I was so in that. Hush. Hush. Don't say that. I've just failed in so many ways. You did, but that's not who you are. You were, but that's not what you are. You were, but you are washed, but you are sanctified, but you are justified in the name of the Lord Jesus and by the Spirit of our God. Quit talking about what you were and start talking about who you are. I'm not an old sinner. Saved by grace. I was a sinner. I was. Now I know some folks don't like, well, no, you are. All of us are. We sin every day. You don't have to. I said, you don't have to. And even if you messed up yesterday, did you confess it? Did you repent? Did you receive your forgiveness? Did you receive your cleansing? Then you're not that. You are washed. You are sanctified. You are justified. Amen. <laughs> the devil will come and say, you're such a liar. You've lied so many times. No, you need to say, I was. <laughs> but I'm not anymore. <laughs> I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. I've been made holy. I've been made clean. I didn't do it. He made me this way. With his blood. With his spirit. Let's get it clear. You were. I don't care if it was this morning. It still were. You were. Receive the cleansing of the blood. Receive the regeneration of the Holy Spirit. Receive and realize you have the power by the greater one in you. You don't have to live under the shadow of your past. You don't have to continue to do that and yield to the flesh. You don't have to. 
That's the power of being a child of God. Let me give you something the Lord gave me that I know you'll shout about too, and it'll make you it'll make you ponder it and scratch your head. Go to 1 Corinthians, the seventh chapter. Let me talk to you about how clean you are. Now see, you say that and the enemy will come jump on your shoulder and go, don't listen to him. You know. You know. What a sorry rascal you are. You know. You know. You're either washed or you're not. I've had people look at me and shake their head and go, yeah, but preacher, you don't know what I've done. I said, yeah, and you don't know how powerful the blood is. It's a lack of faith in the blood. It's a lack of realizing how powerful the blood is. You can't, you're not going to shock God. He's seen it all. <laughs> He's seen it all. Doesn't make it good. But it's not greater than the blood. You were. But now you are. Washed. Sanctified. Justified. Clean. Somebody say, I am, I am, I am. I am washed. I'm made righteous. I'm made innocent. I'm made holy by the precious blood of the Lamb. 1 Corinthians 7 and 8. And this is the Weiss translation. 1 Corinthians 7 and 8, the Weiss translation. He says, talking about marriage and talking about believers and unbelievers being married. And he said if you're married to an unbeliever. And they like being with you. And, and y'all are making it okay. You don't have to just divorce he's saying. Listen. Verse 8. For this is the least. The husband who is an unbeliever. Has been sanctified. By virtue of his association with his wife. In her position as a saved individual. And the unbelieving wife. Has been sanctified. By virtue of her association. With her husband. Otherwise. Your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. The cleanness. The sanctification. The righteousness of a born again child of God. Is so powerful. It affects those in family with that person. Amen. <laughs> what does all that mean? Go home praying tongues about it. <laughs> but can you see that God has made us so clean and holy and sanctified, it affects other people around about us. Amen. People in relationship with us that might not even be saved themselves. It affects them. It affects them. Oh, the devil does not want you to see this. The devil does not want us to see this. He wants you to go around the rest of your life going, oh, I'm nothing. I've failed so many times. I've been, I've messed up. I'm just miserable this and that. I've done that. Yeah, I'm the one that did that. Yeah. See, identifying with the sin, with the mistake, with the failure. Him who knew no sin was made to be sin. With our sin. As he hung on the cross. He identified with our sin. And took our sin. And became our sin. So that we could be made. The righteous. The justified. The innocent in Christ. For us to continue to identify with our sin. Is to say he did it in vain. Because he had no sin to identify with. He had not failed God. He had not come short of the glory of God. It was only our sin he was identifying with. He took our shame. He took our condemnation. He took our guilt. He took our judgment. He took our punishment. So we could get his holiness. His innocence. His justification, His righteousness, His liberty, His freedom. Hallelujah. 
He took the sin and the punishment as sinner so we could take the place of sonship. He allowed himself to take the rejection. Remember when he cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He experienced the rejection of not being accepted, of not being worthy so you and I could be accepted in the beloved. Hallelujah. How else do you think you and I could dare come boldly before the throne of grace? Right into the holy of holies. Not by anything we've ever done. Who are you? What are you? Paul said, by the grace of God, I am what I am. In closing, go to Acts, I think. The book of Acts and the 11th chapter. This tells of how Peter, having overcome his past and failures, leader now in the church, went up on the housetop to seek the Lord some while they were finishing the meal and fell into a trance. You remember that? And in this trance, he saw this, you know, some kind of garment or sheet or whatever, dropped down, and in it was all kind of four-footed beasts and things that, according to the law, were unclean. And the Lord spoke to him, rise, Peter, slay and eat. He said, oh, no, 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 I've, ne- I've never eat possum. <laughs> and uh, no, sir, no, no. And what did the Lord tell him? After it happened, you know, he gave him revelation that the Gentiles could be saved and sent him to preach to them. And that, when you talk about a new revelation, nobody thought that could happen. And what he said, as he's telling the elders again, that when he kind of got called on the carpet in the 11th chapter and the uh, seventh verse in the Amplified, he said, I heard a voice saying to me, get up, Peter, kill and eat. And I said, no, by no means, Lord, nothing common or unhallowed or or unclean has entered my mouth. And what did the Lord tell him? A voice answered a second time from heaven. What God has cleansed and pronounced clean, do not you defile and profane by regarding or calling it common or unhallowed or unclean. The Weiss translation says, the things which God cleansed, As for you, stop calling them unhallowed. I'm going to read you some more. Weymouth says, what God has purified, you must not regard as unholy. New living, do not call something unclean if God has made it clean. Am I reading scriptures? Do not call something unclean. If God has made it clean, the devil has deceived millions of good church-going people into thinking that running their self down and calling their self failures and, and sinners is somehow humility and somehow pleasing to God. But it's actually defiant. It is failing to respect what God has done and what God has said. If he says you're clean... Do not say I'm unworthy. What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Uh, The living Bible says don't say it isn't right when God declares it is. (laughs) Are you right or not? Oh I'm not righteous. There's people getting fighting mad when they hear a preacher like me say I'm the righteousness of God in Christ. And yet they're the ones being defiant and disrespectful. When the Lord says, well, here's a good example, you know, when he called Moses and told him to go uh, to Pharaoh, he said, I'm sending you. And, and Moses said, oh, I, I can't go. No, I can't. I can't. And the Lord looked at him and said, that's why I like you. You're, you're so humble. No, what the Bible say? It made the Lord angry, didn't it? 
Why? Because it's so disrespectful. The Lord looks at you and says, I've made you righteous. I've made you holy. And you go, yeah, I know you said that, but I'm nothing. I know I'm nothing. I'm such a failure. He said, you're more than a conqueror. No, I'm a failure. We all know it. I've come short in so many ways. I've failed so many times. That doesn't please the Lord. It's acting like Jesus didn't go to the cross. It's acting like the blood has no power. It's acting like you haven't been cleansed. We must stop identifying with the past and with our failures and with our sins. That's not who I am. It's who I was. I was, but I'm not. I am washed. I am justified. I am made holy. Made right. Made clean. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. He did it. He did it. I am what I am by the grace of God. But I still am. I still am. Just because I didn't do it doesn't make it any less done. (laughs) Stop treating as unclean what God has made clean. I'm reading another translation. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. Something that stands out to me that touched me so much the first time I heard it. My father in the faith, Kenneth Hagin Sr., describes how that during a meeting he knelt down to pray and was caught up in the spirit and saw the Lord. And uh, he said uh, he had heard the Lord speaking to him and he saw him form, but he hadn't really just looked at him. And he said uh, he looked at him and he said he was just overwhelmed. He says people ask him what did he look like. And he describes him. His height and his color of his hair. And, and, but he says uh, the most outstanding feature he said was his eyes. He said I, uh, words fail. But he said it, I, the best thing I know how to say. They look like wells or pools of living love. He said it seemed to him you could look down into them miles deep. Into his eyes. Living love. And he said that when I looked on him. He said. He said I, he was overwhelmed. He said he fell down at his, at his master's feet. And put his head down. And he said Lord. No one as unworthy as I. Should look on your face. And I think every one of us would feel that way. In the presence of such purity. Yes. And holiness. And perfection. But he said the master said. Stand up. Stand upright on your feet. And uh, I suppose when the Lord says that, you don't just keep laying there. <laughs> Is that right? He, he said he got up and he stood there kind of trembling. He said the Lord looked at him and said, I have made you worthy to look on my face. Wow. Is it true or not? Yes. Is it true or not? Amen. Oh, somebody say, he has made me worthy. Yes. No, you weren't. I wasn't either. We were sinners. We were all those things. But he has done it. Hallelujah. When he said, it is finished. Was it finished? When he rose from the dead, did he do it triumphantly over our sins and the judgment and everything that went with it? Yes. 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 We must stop talking about what I did. And how I failed. It's insulting to grace. It's insulting to the power of the blood. Acting like our mistakes are bigger and more of an issue and greater than the blood. They're not. They're not. No matter how grievous your sin was. It's no match for the power of the precious blood of the Lamb. Hallelujah. Do you believe the Bible or not? Are you going to be standing in that throng of millions on that day? Is your robe going to be defiled? Is it going to be splattered with sins and failures? Huh? Well, when are you going to get this robe? When are we made righteous? It's not after you die. It was.
was accomplished at the cross. You and and the resurrection. You and I just received it. Hallelujah. We're not going to become righteous later. We have been made. I'm quoting scriptures. We have been made the righteousness of God in Christ. Hallelujah. And what God calls clean. Come on, tell your neighbor, don't call it unclean. (laughs) What God calls righteous, don't call it unrighteous. What God calls holy, don't call it unholy. We're talking about you. You. It'd help us, friends, to just go around night and day confessing the word. It, it, it'll, it'll, your head will have trouble with it. Your unrenewed mind, your feelings will, be, uh, will struggle with it. But it's why you need to persist in it. Just go around saying, I've been made righteous. I've been made clean. I've been made holy. Hallelujah. Just go around saying it. Saying it. And it's all in Christ. It's all by him and in him and what he's done. But you are. But you are. And it would help us. Let's help each other. Somebody starts talking about failures and mistakes they made. You need to go, were. Were. (laughs) Right? Used to be. Yeah, but it was only five minutes ago. That's used to be. Is that right? Is it? It's it's gone. It's used to be. You were. But now you are. Stand on your feet, everybody. Oh, hallelujah. 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 This ministry has been brought to you today free of charge by the partners of More Life Ministries and Faith Life Church. If you would like to help send this word to others at no charge, you can become a word sender today. For more information, visit our website at morelife.org.